0: Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. I'm Will and I'm the pastor. It's a joy to be with you all today. If you're joining us online, I want to say a special word of welcome. Thank you for staying uh, joining us at our online live stream. If you're watching this later on, welcome. I pray that God moves in your life as we worship together. Here at Kern Church, we're committed to creating belonging and hope by connecting you to a life renewed by Jesus and deeply committed to other people. And my hope for you today is that you feel that, that you feel connected to God and connected to, to someone else whether you don't whether you know them or, or not and you get to know them uh, I pray that that moves in your life today let us pray God thank you so much for your presence in our lives I pray that as your people worship you here at Kern that your spirit is enriched that that you feel you feel the love that people have for you I pray also oh God that you open the hearts of each one who is here that when we may build upon your grace, each one can experience the love that you have specifically for them. Amen. You know, one of the co- topics of conversation is always, I wonder what's going in there as 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 you as you drive down the highway and you see construction happening Gravel being moved and you see foundations being laid. The conversation is, I wonder what's going in there. In fact, before I even walked into worship this morning, I was having a conversation outside, and we were talking about construction and real estate and, and what things were being built, and I wonder who's doing what and how things are being built. When a new building is is, is 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 being constructed, always we start thinking, you know, what's it going to be? And then if you're online, you see all the speculations and some people are really certain that Target is coming to Oak Ridge, or or really certain that that this place is coming to Oak Ridge, or or somebody really thinks Oak Ridge, I mean, we're in Oak Ridge, right, really thinks Oak Ridge needs this, this particular restaurant. Of course, these usually aren't the people that are going, you know, like, building the restaurants but there, anyways that's a whole nother thing um but but people are always thinking about what's going in what is it going to be and usually if you want to be right you could just say it's probably a doctor's office or a bank and then you're right like 80% maybe 90% of the time um but but that's I've nothing against doctor's offices and banks we I guess we we do need those but um, they're not as exciting as a new restaurant coming to town or a new store that's, that's opening up. And then on top of all the, the speculation of what's going to be built or what should be built, there's also you know a whole genre of television and, and streaming shows about building uh, building tree houses, uh, extravagant tree houses that cost more than most homes that we live in. Uh, building log cabins, building building things out of um, trash. I don't know. You just whatever. You can probably find a show about it that people are 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 building things. And and I guess people watch these shows. I know that I've watched these shows. And um and sometimes with binge watching where you can just like Play next episode. It's easy to watch several of these. A few years ago, all of America thought they wanted to live in a tiny home because the tiny home nation was was sweeping across. Uh, Maybe that was just like um, my television. But anyways, you know, people had this idea that we see these buildings, we want to build it. And so ideas around building and, and construction, and these are things that we think about and we see them happening and we wonder what's going in there. And so today what we're doing is we're starting a new message series about building, but it's not building necessarily as it relates to construction and physical bricks and mortar, but what we're talking about is building on grace, building on grace. And one of the most important, if not the most important thing for any type of construction is to make sure that you're building on a sure foundation, to make sure the groundwork is laid and things are in in the right order before you start off. And so in this new message series, we are going to explore how all of life, how all of life is, is built on grace. And my hope is that over the next few weeks, you will find your place in the grace of God. You will find your place and be able to recommit yourself to living out God's grace in your life. And the truth is, we all need grace. I have a, a, a three-year-old whose name is Grace, and sometimes when when I talk about Grace, and my wife's name is Hope, and so when I use these are church words, and so and my name is Will, and that's kind of a word we use, and so when we when we use these words, uh, my daughter was like, "Well, why is Daddy saying all these uh, names? Like, why does Daddy keep talking about people's names?" And and anyways. Um, but grace is a name that, that I hold precious for my daughter, but it's, but it's also a, a huge and important concept in all of life. You see, grace is a simple thing, but it's a complex thing. And, and if you just look at what grace is, grace is, is God's goodwill for humanity. Grace is God's goodwill for humanity. Unmerited favor that God bestows on you and on me. That's grace, just God's goodwill to humanity. And today, we're going to look at, at, at building a, a foundation, laying the foundation and building a foundation on grace. And, and we're going to look at the, the foundation that grace has in, in life and in faith. And as we consider the foundation of grace that that all of life gives us, my hope is that you will be reminded of the role of grace in your life. And and if this is new to you, that you will be able to find God's grace and receive God's grace in your life today. And so as we do this, what we're going to do is we're going to look at something that that Jesus taught, and one time Jesus was teaching humanity, Jesus was teaching people like you and me about grace, and Jesus decided to do this by telling of a parable. Now parable is just a fancy word of of describing a story that that teaches. And so what Jesus did when when he was teaching in ministry, oftentimes what he would do He would teach by telling a story, and these stories are called parables because they they teach a lesson, and that's what Jesus is trying to do. He uses stories from everyday life to illustrate what he's talking about and trying to get people to understand, but I have to warn you that if you've ever read the Bible, especially the, the, the parables of Jesus, you might think about them and say, like, this doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Because oftentimes what Jesus is talking about are things that are from culture, but they're not from your culture. They're from a culture that existed in, in the, the region of Palestine, a Jewish culture about 2,000 years ago. And this culture was, was primary, primarily agrarian, primarily Jewish, and it was 2,000 years ago. So they talk about things like, like sowing seeds and, and working in the fields. And, and some of you, perhaps do this or have done this in your life, but most people today don't know what it's like, including myself, to really, I mean, I, I can kill plants, and that's my extent of my agrarian activities, and I can mow weeds in my yard, like that's the extent of my agrarian activities. And so I, I need help when it comes to understanding Jesus's stories, because, because they come from a different culture than mine. And so as we consider the story that Jesus tells us today, I, I think it comes from a different culture than ours. And this is, um, this is enough of a warning, I'll stop on that. Um, and what we're going to look at today comes from the book of Matthew. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to follow along, Matthew is one of the, what we call Gospels, one of the first four books of the New Testament that tells the good news about jesus it tells the matthew writes the good news about jesus about the life the ministry the miracles of of jesus and today i'm going to be looking at matthew chapter 20 that that captures where where matthew captures one of these parables of jesus and so jesus is teaching and in this parable he says this he says the kingdom of heaven Is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So he's he's got a vineyard and he's he's going out to hire workers for the day. And and after he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went around at nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they went. Again, around noon, and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. And around five in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you just standing around here doing nothing all day long? And they responded, because nobody has hired us. And Jesus, or the landowner, responded, you also go into the vineyard. The story begins with each laborer being unemployed. Each laborer being unemployed. And what you have to know about day laborers in the time that Jesus was living is that they had to work every day just to survive. It was not that they were just living paycheck to paycheck. They were living day to day. And if they did not work any given day, then that they would come home empty handed. That their children might not have food to eat that night. That the next day their lives would be would be in peril. That they... they they had to live on a day-to-day basis. In this, in this time, in, in Roman culture, there were there would be household servants and household slaves, and, and, and these people were at the very bottom of, of society. But the thing that made them different from la- day laborers is that a servant in the household knew that they would be provided for, knew that they had a, a place to go to bed at night, knew that they would have food in their stomach. But but these day laborers, if they did not work any given day, they had nothing to show for it. And their lives and their families' lives would be in immense peril. They were at the mercy of everyone else. And, and at the, what's important is at the very beginning of the day, they all show up to the corner to be hired for the day, and they're all in the same position. They're all unemployed. They have hope that they'll be able to have a a job and a wage for the day, but they don't know if it's going to happen. They are all unemployed. So when Jesus says that this is what the kingdom of God is like, what does he mean? What does he mean? I mean, that's really an odd thing to say. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A whole bunch of people standing on the corner who are in complete desperate situation. And, and I think that Jesus knew something about people, and he knew that each and every one of you, and I guess I can include myself in this, is a little bit screwed up. Jesus knew that people are a little bit screwed up. And, and the thing is, in church, we call this sin, we call this sin. And when people talk about sin, usually what you're talking about is the, the sin in other people's lives. I mean, it's really easy to, you know, it's really easy to point to somebody else and say, oh, that they're, they're a t- terrible person. They have this sin going on in, in their lives. And maybe sometimes you would pick out the sin in your life, some bad things you do. Well, and oftentimes when we think about sin, often what is discussed is, is bad things people do, yes, and it's often equated to immorality. And so if somebody is, is, is living in sin, that's an that old saying, then, then many people would say that they're living a, an immoral lifestyle, living in a way that they, they don't approve of. I always wonder if it's, they don't approve of it or if God doesn't approve of it. And those, That's a sticky situation. But um, this idea that sin is basically wrong things that people do. And the thing is, while sin can be these things, can be some some things that are wrong things people do, sin is primarily not about wrong things that people do. Instead, instead sin is a much larger problem because sin at its heart is is just the stuff, is just the state of being that keeps people disconnected from, from God. Sin and its constant companion death keep humanity trapped. They keep humanity trapped, keeps you ensnared in ways that are multifaceted and complex and painful. And, and the, really the case is you can't really do a whole lot about this. You can't really do like, find your way out in the midst of this. Now someone who knew something about the life of sin was somebody who went on to be an early Christian leader was a guy by the name of Paul. And one time, Paul is writing to some Christians who live in, in the city of Rome, and he's writing to them, and he's just like, you know what, I'm going to talk to them about sin and this state of sin that people have. And here's what he says in, in, in Romans uh, chapter 3. All are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who looks for God. They all turned away. They have become worthless together. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. I mean, this is really depressing stuff. Like, everybody's in a bad situation. No one is good. No one is nice. No one, everybody's turned away. And then he goes on. No one has shown any kindness, not even one. Their throat is a grave that has been opened. They are deceitful with their tongues, and the poison of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing bitterness. Their feet are quick to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And, and, and they don't know the way of peace. There is no fear of God in their view of the world. I mean, the power of sin is deep, Paul is sharing here. And also, the power of sin is a great equalizer. And it means that on your own, there's just not a lot that you can do to escape this power of sin. There's not a lot you can do to fix it, to, to resolve it. There's not a lot you can do to find hope or to find a way out. There's not a lot you can do to build goodness and to build holiness and to build things that are, that are worthwhile. And to be honest, this is something that flies in the face of, of what we try to teach in, in our culture, in our culture here, especially in America. You see, American culture says things like, you can be anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. We have this mythos that that people can pull themselves up by, by their bootstraps, that people can better their lives and the lives of those that are near to them. But when you consider what the Bible says, there's just not a lot you can do on your own. The power of sin, power of death, entraps and ensnares, and you really can't build Anything on your own. You can't pull yourself up on your own. You you, you are simply just lost on your own. And if you keep reading just a little bit further down, just a little bit further down in what Paul is writing, he says, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There is no distinction. Distinction. And so Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God's like. There's a bunch of people who are trying to get a job for the day just to survive. So as the day begins, the labor, as the laborers begin their day, they begin in the same position. Desperate. No distinction. Unemployed. They lack the security that they need to survive. They can't feed their families. They can't, they, 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 can't, they, can't, um, they can't help their kids. They worry about their families. They worry what will happen if they can't make it. They, they worry about their kids. They worry about tomorrow. They just worry, in this constant state of worry, I imagine, causes an immense amount of anxiety of, of being able just to survive for the day for themselves and for those near to, to them. And if they don't get some help from someone else, There is nothing they can really do to fix their situation. They're desperate. And and, and, and there's nothing they can do to fix their situation in that given day and maybe throughout their life. And believe it or not, in many ways, this is like you. And this is like me. There is no distinction. For each has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You know, even as the laborers begin their day in hopelessness, though, things begin to change. Things begin to change rather quickly. As as daybreak comes, the worry of some of these workers is erased as, as they are hired to work in the vineyard for the wage of one denarian. And so at the time, one denarian was basically a day's worth of wages. It was enough to survive on. It was not enough to get ahead on. It was not enough for tomorrow, but it was enough for these day laborers to survive on for the day. It's what they needed to have security for the day. And so these people that are being hired, they hear the good news that the worry for today is gone that their anxiety for the day is completely erased because now they have a job and now they know that they will be paid enough to survive. And they're probably fed along the process. So now they know that they will work and they will have a job and they will be fed and that they will have enough to then take home to their families. The rest of the workers, though, they're still on the corner. They don't get picked up. and, And they're forced to sit with that worry. They're forced to sit with that anxiety. And I imagine as, the, as the, uh, the people that are picking up help for the day are coming by, they're, they're coming by early in the morning to get the best laborers, to get the most people. But then as the day goes on, there's less of a chance that people are going to get picked up. And when 9 o'clock comes and 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock comes, the people that are there left waiting, they're just full of worry. And the landowner does come back, and he finds out um, that there's more people wanting to work, and, and so he promises them a fair wage, and, and their worry for the day is abated. And then, in the last working hour of the day, he goes back around, and he finds workers who haven't been hired. Now, these are people who have been out since the very early morning, and, and they're, they're there with just hours left in the working day, and they have been sitting with this worry all day long. I can only imagine what's been going through their minds. They they had hopes early in the morning that things were going to work out, that they would be hired, that they would be able to feed their families. But as the hours passed, their hopes were replaced with more worries. As each hour advanced to the next, their, their hopes were being displaced by anxiety that their families would have enough as the hours passed they they likely gave into despair more and more. How were they supposed to go home to feed their families, threatening the very lives that they wanted to live? But then at the end of the day, the landowner shows up and, and, and he invites them to come to work as well. Perhaps they imagine, well, at least I can get something. Maybe I can get a a drink. Maybe I can get something to eat. Maybe a a portion of a day's wage will be better than no wage at all. And so they go to work for an hour. Then Jesus continues the story in a rather surprising way. Verse 8, when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and, and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon, that's the last ones hired, like there's only one hour left in their working day. So when those were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarian. Now, if I, you remember, a denarian is worth a day's wage. So this is what people should expect to receive for, for, having a survive, for surviving for a day is, is one. So, so these people only worked for an hour, but yet they receive a full day's wage. I, I bet you can, um, can now sympathize with those. That we're about to read about. Um, in verse 9 we read that when those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, they received one denarian. Now those who had been hired first came and thought that they would receive more. I mean that's what you would be thinking, right? You, you've been there busting your tail all day long in the heat of the day, working all day long, and you see these, these, these folks that have, um, for whatever reason, they, they were not hired until the end of the day. And you saw how generous the landowner was for these people that came late, for these people that, that, that sat around all day and, and then only worked an hour. And you saw that they received a full day's work or a full day's wage for an hour's work. And so surely that means that since you had been working since very early in the morning, you would be even more extravagantly compensated. I mean, that's what you would be thinking. That's what I would be thinking. That's the way we think about things. But remember, Jesus begins a story describing the kingdom of God. And this parable is, is what the kingdom of God is like. This isn't what you are like or what I am like. It's about God and the ways of God. And God's way of grace is different than what you or I might think it should be. So Jesus continues to tell how much how much those who worked since early in the morning would receive. And this happens in the second part of verse 10. They thought that they would receive more, but each one of them also received a denarian. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these who were hired last worked one hour. And they received the same pay as we did, even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. I mean, you would grumble too, wouldn't you? You would grumble too. You you did more work, but you got the same pay. This is not equal pay for equal work. This is some other scheme that just doesn't make sense to those that are working there. But remember, Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. And this parable tells what the kingdom of God is like. So Jesus then tells us how the landowner responds to their grumbling. The landowner says in verse 13, But he replied to one of them, "'Friend, I I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I gave to you.' Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? So those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. Each of the laborers began the day unemployed. Each of the laborers began the day unemployed. They began the day in a desperate situation from, from which they had really no way of saving themselves, and instead they were locked into their worries and, and locked into the probable despair until someone would come to hire them for a job. And then each laborer is given work and given promise for pay, and, and it's at this point that they, are, that they are given something that will take away their worry. They are given something that will take away their pain. They're giving something that will take away their anxiety, at least for a day, and they are glad. One biblical commentator wrote, they all begin in the same situation, but they easily forget that by the end of the day. They easily forget at the end of the day where they started. Their energy goes not into the fact that they have had work and are being paid, but to the inequality they see. When I look at this situation for for face value, I sympathize with the laborers. I sympathize with the laborers and their grumbling. And if I'm honest with myself, I would probably be grumbling right along with them. But then I remember, then I remember that Jesus began this story saying, The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. And I hear God saying in this, My grace is enough. My grace is enough. My grace is enough to save. While it's easy for for the laborer to focus on the unequal work that they have accomplished, I want you to know that they have also received some type of unequal salvation because each one began the day in a desperate position. Those who were chosen first, though, they were able to live the entire day worry-free. They were able to live the entire day free from anxiety, free from the things that were crippling those that were still begging on the street corner. They knew that their day was secure from the very early morning. How much lighter they must have felt knowing their families would be cared for. But those who only worked that hour at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they received the same salvation and sustenance for the day, but they were left with that desperate situation longer. They were left for hours upon hours struggling and worrying, am I going to make it? Is my family going to make it? They were, they were left nearly all day in, 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 in an uncertain and desperate position of survival, only to be saved. The very last minute. At The very last minute. If you remember that letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, he tells you that each person, each person, begins in the same position. Helpless, helpless to the pain and effects of sin. What Jesus says is that God's grace is enough. And what Paul writes about this in that letter to the Romans is this, in verse 22, God's righteousness, God's righteousness comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who have faith in Him. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory, comma, but all are treated as righteous freely by the grace by his grace because of a ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. All who have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but but the faithfulness of Jesus are treated righteous because of the grace of God. All all have all have begun in the same position. But yet, for those who have faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, they are treated as righteous, as Paul says, through grace. Dear friends, grace is enough. And maybe you, you've been working for the kingdom for a long time. Maybe you, you've, you, you've grown up in church your whole life and, 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 and you're like those early morning workers and you, your, your position has been secure. You, you've had troubles in life, but always God has been there with you providing a sense of strength and solace. And then you look around and you're like, okay, well, it's somebody else's turn to do the work. I'm done. I've done my part. Maybe somebody else should do it. But, but as the worker, as the landowner pays each worker what is needed, what, what we find is that enough is survived. Enough is given. God's grace is enough. You cannot get more grace or less grace because grace is God's and grace is enough. And this is the sure foundation on which all of life and all of faith is built. The grace of God is enough. The grace of God is enough. God's grace is the foundation and source of all hope and all goodness in life. And so I encourage you, I encourage you. If you find yourself as one of those early hired hands uh, in God's kingdom of grace, give thanks to God. Really give thanks to God. And maybe you've been working for a long time and you worry that, that perhaps you deserve more. than than you have right now. You deserve more grace. You, You deserve something else when it comes to God's grace. But I want you to know that in God's grace, God's grace is enough and seniority does not equate to privilege in the grace of God. So give God thanks. Give God thanks for what God has done and is doing in your life. Because it's full, it's abundant, it's secure. Or maybe you find yourself on the corner, not yet a part of God's grace, not yet a part of of receiving that security that comes from God, worrying like those laborers who weren't hired until the end of the day. But I want you to know, I want you to take heart. Take heart that grace is enough for you, too. Grace is enough for you, too. All you have to do is to accept the call of grace on your life, to receive that grace because God's grace, God's grace is enough. God's gracious provision is enough. And I think that's what Jesus wants to say when he says, "The kingdom of God is like this. All are hurting, and all need God's grace. I want to pray right now for you and, and, and if you're in a position where you just give God thanks uh, for the grace in your life, I want to invite you to give God thanks. And, and, and maybe, maybe you know somebody in your life who's really struggling. Maybe worrying in the midst of anxiety and pain like those who, who were standing on the corner all day, waiting to be hired, waiting for something. And, 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 if, and if you know somebody like that, I want you to just to, to, to say their name in your mind, in your heart. And ask God to, to show up in their lives. And and if that's you today, I want you to know that that I'm here um, a lot of time today, and I'm able to pray with you, pray for you, and and um, there's others that want to do that as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your grace is enough. Sometimes I want to do things my way. I want to be rewarded in the ways that that I think is best. I want to receive what I think is better you tell us oh god that your grace is enough so right now for all those who know how your grace is full in their lives i, I pray that, that they just are able to give you thanks and say and say thank you god so if you're if you're feeling that this morning and and you just need to say thank you god i just want to invite you right now either in your heart or out loud to say thank you god thank you god and right now god for those that um that are struggling. Uh, We we name in our hearts the names of those that we know that may be full of anxiety and pain and and maybe feeling a sense of lost purpose and unease in their lives. And so I pray right now and we speak their names in our hearts. And as we speak these names, oh God, may You, may You fill them with Your grace. May You pick them up as the landowner picked up the workers give them the salvation of your grace and God if there's anyone here that needs their grace in your life especially today I pray that you do it pray that their hearts are open to receive your provision because your grace is enough Amen It is true God's grace is enough and I pray that God's grace you feel that is enough in your hearts this day May you go forth with the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit this day and evermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page, at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.